<laughs> well, hi, everybody. How are you today? Trying to get myself together to worship with you this morning. Would you please stand with us, please? We are so glad that and honored that you're here with us as we lift our voices to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords today. We ask that you would just continue to just um, let your light shine through Jesus Christ as he is among us and he is here with us today. As the first song starts, would you just turn to a friend this morning or turn and greet somebody that you have not met before? We are glad that you are here today with us. Just wave to the people in the back. Glad to see you all for sure.
this morning. Amen.
Uh, can we thank God for that? Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Good morning, Crossroads. Welcome those here in the building. Welcome those online. Uh, it is a good day to be here, isn't it? Amen. And so, listen, there is so much happening here, and I want to give you just a, a lowdown of what's going on, because, listen, it is spring is coming, people. It's happening, isn't it? Thank God for the weather today, right? Isn't it beautiful? Yeah, it's wonderful. Listen, I want to let you guys know our egg extravaganza is happening on April 9th. And I want to let you know about a couple things. If you would like to just ask questions or sign up or do anything as, as far as joining the team and volunteering, please stop by in the lobby and talk to Kim and Christy. They're out there at a, the egg extravaganza table. You won't miss it as you're heading out on the left. So please talk to them. Uh, and, and this is a great opportunity to serve. There's going to be hundreds of kids and families. It's a wonderful opportunity for us to impact our community. And so that's going to be on April 9th is going to be the extravaganza. All the information is on our website to sign up to attend. Uh, and you can also um, sign up to volunteer here uh, in the lobby. So God is, is just going to do an awesome work, and we're looking forward to that. Next Steps is going to be next weekend. Uh, the, the, uh, the 13th of March, and so please uh, plan to join us right after the second service. Um, this is for anybody looking to take that next step in membership here at Crossroads, joining our church family. You can stop by the Welcome Center to register, or you can go online and you can register to be there. It's going to be a great day, and we're looking forward to that on March 13th. And then, listen, the Case for Christ study on Wednesday night uh, with the men's group has been a strong just start, and so uh, men... Join us here on Wednesday night at 6.30 right in the auditorium. Pastor Ken leads that uh, roundtable discussion in small groups, and there's it's video-driven. It's a phenomenal study, so men plan to be there on Wednesday at 6.30. And then there's also a ladies' study. Nancy Baker does a wonderful job, and there's also kids' ministry, uh, preschool up through fourth grade, and then there's fifth and sixth grade and seventh and eighth grade for middle school, uh, 6.30 on Wednesday night. And so all kinds of things happening, and it's, it's, it's always a last on Wednesday night. And then listen, ladies, your retreat is coming up uh, at the end of March. Yeah, I heard some, I heard some hoots. Uh, and so uh, listen, the last day to sign up for the women's retreat is next Sunday, the 13th. So please, ladies, sign up for the retreat ne- by next Sunday is the deadline. And so you guys are going to have an awesome, awesome time. Listen, I just want to also take a second to just say, Listen, if we have any guests online or here in the building, welcome. We're so thankful that you're here hanging out with us. It's so, it's just great. We love having our guests. We love having you here. So thank God for you. We're glad you're here. Please stop by the Welcome Center before you leave. Uh, we just would love to give you something free by just saying thank you for being here and just being uh, just being a part of our church today. We're just so thankful that you guys are here today, our guests. And then I also want to say, church, thank you for your faithfulness in giving. Um, God just doing an amazing work, truly. And so thank you for being faithful and giving online through the mail and then the offering boxes on the wall. Uh, God is just using our church and, and impacting lives all over. So thank you for giving. Uh, God is, is just is, is growing our church. And so, God, uh, as we continue on, would you guys pray with me? Lord, thank you for uh, just for who you are, for who you are in our lives. Lord, we love you. And uh, for the cross, um, just like Pastor Ken was sharing, the, the cross of Jesus is everything. Without the cross, we would be lost. Jesus, thank you for your cross. We just proclaim that truth now. We ask it all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you guys stand as we continue on this morning?
today we start a new series, 24, the, the 24 hours that changed the world. And we've just come off of a series in Proverbs. We've been looking at all the wisdom that God has given us. Now we're going to take the next six weeks as we look up to Easter. And many people refer to this season as Lent. And they, they look at it and they say, okay, this is, this is a, a time of preparation to celebrate Easter. And so as we look through this next few weeks, I want you to prepare your heart and begin to look at the, the sacrifice of Jesus. Like, if you look throughout the Scripture, you'll see that Jesus lived about 33 years. The most people, most scholars believe that Jesus lived about 33 years. That equals about 12,000 days. Um, the Gospel writers devote about 1,100 days. They, they give you about 1,100 days, three and a half years. About 1,100 days is what you see from the Gospel writers. But one of the most important parts that, they, that the gospel writers are driving to, the whole book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all drive to the last 24 hours. John gives five chapters alone. There's only 20, 21 chapters in, in the book of John. He gives five chapters alone to, to, to the things that Jesus taught right around the last 24 hours. So as you look at the, the last 24 hours of the life of Jesus, it is so important because there is where we see the, uh, the, the, the sacrifice. There's where we see the incredible intensity of the mission that, Jesus called him, uh, that God called Jesus to do. So as we look at this today, I want to encourage you. We're going to start off. We're going to be looking at Thursday. This is Thursday evening going into Friday. Some people, as they look at it, they believe that it was actually Wednesday evening going into Thursday. Either way, I want to just look at the last 24 hours of the life of Jesus. And as we look at it, Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 12, we're going to see here, Mark 14, verse 12, we see here he says that on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So here's what was happening. It was a, it was a time of a, an incredible feast known as the Passover. And for you and I, we look at that and you say, what's he talking about? The Feast of Unleavened Bread. He's talking about this Passover lamb. And what was happening, it would be a holiday. This was that, a high season for, for Jerusalem, for the, for the Jewish people. At this time, it was a seven-day festival. At this time, more than three million people would converge on this little town of Jerusalem. So it's a wall-to-wall type of thing. It's kind of like, you know, whenever we have Christmas, whenever we have our big holidays and people are out celebrating and festive. It was a very patriotic time for the Jewish people. But as Jesus comes into his final 24 hours, he hits this meal with his disciples. You may have heard it called the Last Supper uh, because literally it was the last meal that Jesus had before he pays for my sin, before he pays for your sin on the cross. And so to understand it, you have to go back into Exodus because what was happening was this, this Passover meal that they were eating... They had this Passover meal, and they were giving this, uh, they, they would go through this ritual, go through this festival, and they, it had been done for 1,400 years up until that point. So when Jesus arrives for 1,400 years, they've been celebrating Passover. By the way, Passover is continuing to be celebrated to this day. Have you, you know that? Uh, if you have a, a Jewish friend, they will probably, they will likely celebrate Passover. 
Passover this year lines up on our calendar the same as it does for Easter. Very interesting to me. But like Passover starts on Good Friday. And so it is lining up perfectly. So it's going to be an interesting season for us all this year. But let's go back to Passover and let's look and see what does the Passover, what was it really all about, okay? Because when you see what the Passover is all about, then you're going to really see, okay, when Jesus had this last supper with his disciples, this is what was happening. Exodus chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Now, the Lord spoke to Moses. So I've jumped. We, hold your place over in Mark. We jumped to the Old Testament 1,400 years earlier. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year. God was saying, I'm about to do something that's going to change your calendar. You know, every now and then God comes in and he says, I'm going to do something. I'm going to make a big difference in your life. This is going to change your life. And you'll be able to look on the calendar and you'll change and you're going to see the change. You can go back. You can remember this day. You can remember this event. God says that was what was going to happen with Passover. That wasn't the first month. He said, this is now going to be your first month. It's the month of Nisan, not like the car I drive. But the month of Nisan, all right? So it was known as the month of Nisan. And so the, so the people, they, he said, now this shall be the first month for you. Speak to all the congregation, verse 3, speak to all the congregation of Israel on the, saying this, on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take, a, take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. So each man should go out and take a lamb home. They're going to take this lamb. If the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of persons. According to each man's need, you shall make count for the lamb. So he says, make sure that everybody has a lamb. There's only one person living there. Well, we'll we'll, we'll get enough lamb for them and for the neighbor. So he says, make sure that everybody has an accounting of the lamb. He says, your lamb shall be without blemish. A male of the first year. You shall take it from the sheep or from the goats. He says, listen, I want you to catch this. Get a lamb. And it's not just any lamb. It's got to be the perfect lamb. It's got to be the lamb that doesn't, the lamb that doesn't have any spots on it. doesn't have any blemish. It's not a defective lamb. You want a lamb that's totally good. And it's this beautiful little lamb. Now, remember, the people of Israel... They've been under Egyptian slavery for 400 years. They are slaves to the Egyptians. God has brought plague after plague after plague. They've had now, this would be the 10th plague. And God says, ah, watch what I'm about to do. Watch what I'm about to do. Your lamb shall be without blemish. The male of the first year, you shall take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. So you have the lamb. You pick it out on the 10th. You watch it for four days and then you kill it. You sacrifice it. And then you will take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on a lentil of the house where they eat. Oh, man. God said, listen, I'm going to come and I'm going to change your calendar. I'm going to give you something and I want you to do this. I want you to make an extremely personal sacrifice. 
I want you to catch this because I never caught this before, how personal it was. I always thought, well, this is some sort of ritual. These guys are going through a little bit of ritual here. And how do we, how do we get these guys to, like, make, how did God make this personal for them? Well, here's how he made it personal. He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go get a lamb, and I want you to take it to your house without spot, without blemish, and I want you to watch it for four days. You're going to feed it. You're going to care for it. You're going to get it ready for the sacrifice. What happens when you have a pet for four days? How long did it take you to name your dog? How many of you have cats? Raise your hand. I'm so sorry. (laughs) You know, how long did it take you to name your cat? One day. Some of you named your cat before you picked it up. Other people, you know, your dog, before you picked the dog up, you were thinking about your dog's name. I want you to catch this. You got kids. You go, you pick this lamb up, and you bring this lamb home. And what does your kids do? They go, Mary had a little lamb. And they start loving the lamb, and they they care for the lamb, they pet the lamb, they name the lamb, they feed the lamb. And in four days, they're attached to this lamb. And he says, I want you to go and I want you to kill the lamb at twilight. And I want you to take the blood and you're going to take the blood of the lamb and you're going to put it over the doorpost. You're going to go on the lentil on the top and then you're going to hit the two posts on the side. And if you take that and you take the blood. So so I want you to see how personal this was. Like these people got to be in a part of this. They got to be attached. And there was a very personal sacrifice at this point. And so whenever they came and they made the sacrifice, they were trusting in God's provision. They were trusting in God's deliverance. God said, now this is what I want you to do. I want you to go put the blood on the doorpost. And look what he says that he would do. He says that, uh, he says that then they shall eat on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, and they shall eat it. So go ahead and have a feast. I want you to eat the lamb that you just slain. I want you to not eat it raw, nor boiled at all with water, nor ro- but roast it in its fi- roasted in fire, its heads with its legs and with its entrails. So, so roast it and take good care of this thing. Cook it well. You shall not let none of it remain until morning. So eat it all. That's my kind of feast, right? I would have been happy, right? And what remains of it until morning, you shall burn with fire. So he doesn't want anything left over. And thus you shall eat it. With a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat in haste, eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So he says, listen, I want you to be ready because the Lord is about to do something. Eat it with, with your clothes on. Have a, have, have, be prepared to go. Have your sandals on. Get ready. Remember, they would take their feet, their, their, their sandals off. In the mills, they would, it would be a, a cleanliness thing. He says, I want you to be ready to go for this is the Lord. It is the Lord's Passover. Verse 12, he says, I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and I will strike the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment for I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. God says, just obey me. 
He didn't say, just go get blood and go put it on. He says, I want you to take care of this lamb. And I know what this is going to do in your house. I know how your kids are going to react. And I want you to see that whenever you sacrifice that lamb, when you take the blood and you apply the blood, listen, it wasn't enough to just have the feast. He says, I want you to put the blood. It was a whole package deal. I want you to go through this and I want you to enjoy this. Uh, you're going you're to enjoy this meal, but know that the Lord is going to do his protection. Verse 14, he continues on. He says, this shall be a day for a memorial to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout all your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. He says, listen, this will be from here out. This is what you will do. So he goes on, and if you keep reading in Exodus 12, he talks about the seven days of there shall be no yeast. And, uh, and and so he sets up the meal, how that they were to eat it. There was to be bitter. We already saw that, that there was to be bitter herbs that they would eat. And so what was happening when Jesus arrived on the scene for 1,400 years, okay? 1,400 years, people were celebrating Passover, and they would have all these elements there. Because God said, this is the first month. And now this is the new first month, and this will be what you will do, and you will always honor it. It will be an everlasting ordinance. And again, to this day, several thousand years later, about 3,400 years later, we are here and people are still celebrating Passover. Why? Because God said make that be an everlasting ordinance, that they celebrate that. But I want you to catch here where we're going this morning. As you look on the table, there were elements one, the element that we all think of is the lamb. Jesus was known as the lamb of God. When, when John saw Jesus, when John the Baptist baptized Jesus, he said, look, there's the lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. He looked at him and he recognized this is the lamb. This is the one that would do it. He understood the Passover meal. He understood what the lamb was really all about. The lamb that would be sacrificed. Except Jesus was the perfect lamb. He was the truly one without spot, without blemish. He is the lamb of God. Um, on that table would be matzo bread. You ever eat matzo bread? You know, you got that flat piece of bread and you snap it in half. They would have the matzo bread. It would remind them there, there was no yeast in the bread. And uh, quite often in the Bible, yeast, we see yeast as uh, symbolic to sin. So like when, when we take the Lord's table, we, we realize that that's a, a piece of bread without yeast because he had no sin in him. But I also want you to remind, be reminded that for the, the people of this day, uh, whenever the first Passover happened, it is now a reminder that they didn't even have time for the bread to rise. God said, no yeast in the bread. I am going to get you out. I'm, your, your house will be passed over, and then you will be set free. Um, every table would also have the bitter herbs on it. And still to this day, they put the bitter herbs on there. It would be a mixture of horseradish, lettuce, and parsley. You would dip into, the, into that mixture, uh, dip into there, and then you would take it, and you would dip that into some salt water. And the salt water would remind you of the tears. 
you see the bitterness and then you see the tears of the Egyptians. You see the tears of the people, uh, of, of the Israelites as they are leaving and fleeing and, and just the, the, the bitterness of slavery. You see all of these things. You see, there was another mixture that would be on the table. It, it had apples and pears and nuts. And, and you would grind it together and it would have like a, a mortar-like consistency. And as they would dip into there, that mortar-like consistency, that would remind them of the, of the mortar that they used to make the bricks. They were brick makers. That's their slavery in Egypt. And so as, as God placed these things on their table, they would come and do that. And then God put a, a, a gauntlet, if you will. It was a, a cup, and it would, it would be filled up with wine, and it would get filled up four times. And, and you said, well, why would he put this cup on there? Why would he have them filled up four times? And Well, I want you to think about wine. It, you know, it's grape juice. It's just something as simple as grape. But, man, it can become really something crazy, too, right? Like it can do a lot more power than just a grape, right? So as you're looking at this, you see the simpleness of the, of the, of the Israelites. But with God's power, he can transform you into something powerful. And then they were to fill it four times. And you go back in Exodus and you read what they were to say each time. Um, Moses said, this is what the Lord says. And so they, on the first round of, the, of taking of the, the wine, it was a sign of blessing. They would just fill that thing up. I will take you out of Egypt. That's the first thing. That was the promise. It was an expression of deliverance. So the first time uh, God says, I will take you out of Egypt. And so they're drinking it and they're having fun and it's empty. Now they fill it up again. I will save you from bondage. That's the second thing that God promised them. I will save you from bondage. And so they would say this as they passed around the wine. It was the sign of the victory, the blessing of God. I will redeem you on the third time. So they filled it up, but the, the wine is overflowing. I will redeem you, says the Lord. And so they would take it and drink, and they would pass it on to the next person. Take it and drink, pass it on to the next person. I will take you, number four, I will take you to be my people, to be my nation. And so God says, I am going to make the nation of Israel my nation, my people. And so whenever they would do this, they would drink this, and it would be an incredible time of festival. And during this festival, patriotism was running high. People were anticipating freedom. And what would happen was that through the years, sometimes people would question, what are we really doing? I mean, for 1,400 years. There's traditions that you do. You don't even know why you do some of your traditions anymore, right? Do some of the things around the holiday because your mom told you to do it. Well, as, as the people were coming along this journey and they were, they were walking the journey and doing these, I want you to visualize, uh, visualize with me. Here's mom, dad, and they've got a few kids. And their youngest kid says, hey, mom, this is a great meal, but this, is, this meal is different than any other. It's known as the Seder meal. They still call it the Seder. The word Seder just means order because everything in the meal has an order. There's an order to everything, how it's to be cooked, when it's to be eaten, how it's to be eaten, and what you say when you are eating it. It's an it's a incredible memorial to what God had done by the Passover in the wilderness. But it was also not just what would happen there, but it was their future promises. There's blessing. There's victory. These are the things that God had in store for them as they, as they celebrated with God. But as, the, as they would come, imagine the kids saying, hey, mom, this is so different. Why do we do this? What's going on? Why? why I don't understand this. And all of a sudden, one of the older siblings would step up to the plate and say, well, here's why. Because Abraham, and they would go all the way back to Abraham. 
Um, the final answer in history's story. Jesus is the final answer of the history's questions. I want you to think about this. Here's a kid. He's asking, why do we do all this? Well, Jesus was going to come along and he would be the answer to it. Let me show you. Number one was Abraham. Abraham says this. Uh, the promise given to Abraham was that he would be a great nation to bless all nations. He would become a great nation and all nations would be blessed through him. Abraham was originally not a follower of God. He was an idol worshiper. He was far from God. And God says, I'm going to do something. So he goes and he picks Abraham, not because of Abraham, but because of God. Isn't that powerful? God does the same in our life. He chooses, he works in our life because he chooses to work in our life. Not because I have something good to offer him. So here was Abraham. He was far from God. And he comes over and he says, all right, I'm going to choose Abraham. And as he chooses Abraham, um, Abraham now begins, uh, becomes a follower of God. And he says, listen, Abraham, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. Genesis 12 says this. God told Abraham and said, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So there's the promise that's given to, to Abraham. And, and as, as Abraham responds back to God, he says, hey, that's really cool, God, but uh, uh, there's just one problem. I don't have any kids. He's like, I know. And then, then Abraham goes back to God and says, here's another problem. Not only do I not have any kids, but my wife is 90. How's this going to happen? And God's like, I know. You know, could you imagine going into a nursing home and finding 90-year-old people with babies? Like, I visit the nursing homes quite often. You don't see anybody in there that just had a baby, right? You don't walk down the hall and find somebody that just had a baby. It's impossible. God said, I'm going to, Abraham, you are going to make me look good. Because I'm going to follow my promise. And at age 90, Sarah has a baby. And that baby, his name was Isaac. Isaac ends up growing up. Isaac has a son. His name is Jacob. Jacob has 12 boys. One of Jacob's 12 boys, his name is Joseph. Joseph gets sold off into slavery. He gets, he gets sent away. He's thrown into the pit. Later in life, he comes back, and you know the tremendous story of Joseph. But as Joseph brings, uh, is up in the second of command over in Egypt, he now brings, in the, uh, brings his family in, and he gives them food during a famine, and God drew the nation of Israel over to Egypt where they would get fed. They end up becoming slaves for 400 years at that point. So the, the, the little kid says, what is this Passover all about? They said, well, it goes all the way back to Abraham. God had a promise, and God is going to keep his promise. We don't know how it's going to happen at that point, but they knew that God would keep his promise. The whole Passover meal was all about a promise to save and redeem. Those four times they drank out of the cup. It was about save and redeem. Save and redeem. Then he would go over to Moses. He would look at Moses and say, well, you know what? God gave Moses a promise. It was that Israel would be the treasured possession to show God to the other nations. He looked in the Old Testament. That's what it was. God said, I'm going to work with a nation. I'm going to start my own nation. I'm not just picking a nation. I'm starting my own. 
And so he comes and he works with Abraham. The nation grows. And as, as he deals with it, he says, I will make my nation a treasured possession. Over in Exodus 19, he says this. God told Moses, he said, tell the people this. Tell them that you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. I love that. You will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's what the priest was to do, right? The priest was to show you God. And that's what he said, I want the nation of Israel to do, to show God. That was the, the, the role that he wanted them to do. He wanted them to live a different life. And that's why all the rules and regulations that you saw in, in the Old Testament, because he said, I want you to live so differently. I want them to see that there's something different about my people and see my power. Obviously, they got derailed, didn't they? But Moses had the promise, and God says it's going to happen. And I want you to know that, that God follows through on his promises. Remember that. Right now, many of us are alarmed by the world stage, are we not? As you watch Ukraine, and you watch the news, and you watch Russia moving in, and listen, it's got us all on edge right now. But I want to tell you, there's no need to be on edge all I see is that God will fulfill his promises. And here's what I want to tell you. I'm praying for the people of Ukraine, and I want you to continue to pray for the people of Ukraine. It's a horrible situation. People ask me, hey, do you think this is the end of the world? Hey, what do you think about World War III? And I tell them, you know what? I don't know about all that, but I do know that God made a promise in his scripture. If you go into Ezekiel 38... Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39, you'll see he talks about drawing the nations from Gog and Magog in from the north down to Israel. And you see, oh, okay, right now you see like this oppression they're starting to go after and they're, they're taking over countries and there's threats of other countries. Listen, I don't know what God's going to do, but I know that the final battle, the final battle in Ezekiel 38 is this. God says, I will bring them all in, and it's going to look like they're going to look like they're going to win. But God says, "I will defeat them." Don't you love that when God says that? I will draw them in, and I will defeat them. So, what's happening in the world right now? Is that the end? Boy, I don't know, but I'll tell you what: I know that God's setting His stage, and God is getting it closer, and Jesus is coming back. That what we are called to do is not to be worried about. Hey, who's Gog, who's Magog and all that? But to live for God and to accept him personally. That's why Jesus came. And if Jesus is really coming back soon, that means that we have got to do something. We've got to tell people about him and we've got to, we've got to like get to know him. I always tell people, I don't want to be a stranger when I get to heaven. Get to know Jesus now. He wants you to have a relationship with him. You want to be so close to him that when you get to heaven, there's no real change. So God says, listen, I, I, I'm going to keep my promise to the nation of Israel. And as you go back, you see that these are future things that will be completed and we will get to see them. Uh, the, David, he said to, of King David that, that, that there would be a ruler through his throne would rule forever. The kingdom of David, it would be through him that the everlasting king would come. 
Well, at this time when Jesus was there, they're under Roman oppression. And under this Roman oppression, man, uh, you know, they, they've been, they're saying, okay, where's the promises of God? Well, let me say this. Jesus ended all traditions with the truth. Jesus ended all traditions with the truth. Would you read that with me? Jesus ended all tradition with the truth. Jesus comes in on this night. It's the beginning of his final 24. And as he's walking into this final 24, he says, I am going to blow their minds. Let me show you how he blows their minds. Back to our original, uh, original passage here. Mark chapter 14. On the first day of the feast of the unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, telling them, go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room? where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. I want you to catch what was happening. The city is swelling. There's three million people. And Jesus says, you're going to go back into Jerusalem. Now, right there is alert. Hey, Jesus, you know them Pharisees? They've been kind of out to get you anyhow. You want us to go in and find a guy carrying water. Now, for you and I, we say, oh, that's pretty cool. Find a guy carrying water. How are you going to spot that? Let me tell you the second thing of why that was so important. Because in that day, that was not a job that a man would do. No offense, ladies. I'm not saying that's the way it is today. I carry the water in my house. You know that 40 thing, the 40 bottles that you get on sale for $4? I'm the one who carries them. I'm the one who leaves them in my car, so they're always cold. That's the way you do it, right? You pick up that water and you carry it in. And that day, they would send the wife, the woman would go to the well. Remember the woman at the well? John chapter 4? The woman would go. So imagine, here's... The other, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each one give a slight different perspective. Some give us other details. And one of the other accounts tell us that it was actually Peter and John who got to go. He says, hey, Peter and John, I want you to go down and look for the man carrying the water. So imagine them going into the city limits. It's the city, they're, they're in the city. There's three million people. It's wall to wall. People are just bumping and shoving. And, and like if you could see how small Jerusalem is and to think that three million people would get under there, it's unbelievable. So they're walking and they're like, okay, here comes somebody with water. Oh, it's a lady. Okay. Hey, Peter, keep an eye out for him. Oh, here comes the water. Oh, it's a lady. Here comes... Here comes water. No, it's a lady. And then, hey, I think we found it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, he got a water jug. Let's follow him. So they start to follow. They're about 15, 20 feet behind him. They see him going down. He goes over and he takes a right. Oh, okay. We're going to go take a right. They go down two blocks. He takes a left. Oh, we've got to keep, keep an eye on him. Oh, man. He just took a left into a dark door. The man gets in. He shuts the door and he locks it. And he's like, shh. He doesn't want anybody to know like he's getting ready for this feast because this is a rich man. 
He has an upper room. And in that day, man, everybody had an upper room, but it had no walls to it. It was called the roof. You would recline on your roof. You would go out there and have a meal up there. But if you had an upper room, the upper room with furnishing, as the scriptures tell us, you had some money. And you know what? This guy had a lot to lose. He had a whole lot to lose. And so he goes in, he, he's there, and then the disciples come in, and they say, hey, where is this place? Look here at verse 16. So the disciples left, and they went into the city, and they found things just as Jesus told them. So they prepared the Passover. This meal that had been 1,400 years celebrated, once a year, every year, generation after generation. So they prepared the Passover. And when evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table, he said, I tell you the truth. Now, here he is. He's reclining at the table. And he says, "Ah, i got to tell you guys something. One of you will betray me. One who is eating with me. As he's putting his hands into the bitter herbs. As he's dipping into the salt water. As they're doing what they would normally do. As they're saying what they would normally say. He he brings this up and they're very saddened. Verse 19 says they were saddened. And one by one they said to him, surely, is it I? Another one says, is it me? Is it I? And so they go through this and they're like, no way, this couldn't be me. Number, verse 20 says, it's one of the twelve Jesus replied, one of the twelve, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. And some people think that that means that like everybody could see that Judas had put his hand into the bowl. But as I'm reading the passage, I'm realizing that everybody was putting their hand into the bowl. These guys did not know. It wasn't clear. They didn't say, oh, there it is. It's Judas. They're wondering, is it me? Who is it? And there's like, there's this, there's shockwaves are going through the room at this point. The Son of Man will go just as, as it is written about Him. But woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Shockwaves are going through. The response is, is it me? Oh, my. That's how we feel many times when we, we feel like we've let God down. We feel like we're, oh, God, that could never happen to me. Is it me? I don't understand. And then Jesus continues on the mill. And while they were eating, Jesus took the bread. He took that matzah bread. Just imagine him snapping that bread. And he gave thanks. He lifted it up before the Lord. He gave thanks. He broke it. And he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take Eat this. This is my body. When Jesus did that, he was saying, this is a symbol of my body. Remember, elsewhere, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Nobody ever thought that he was bread whenever he did the miracle for the, for the fish. He said, I am the bread of life. It was after, after he did these big miracles, nobody thought that he was actually bread. He's now snapping this piece of bread, and he's saying, look, this is my memorial. You've got to catch this. Do this in remembrance of me. Eat this. This is my body. Other, other gospel writers tell us, he says, do this in remembrance of me. This is how you're to remember me, my body, my broken body. And then he took the cup and he opened the cup. 
And you're used to those four statements of redemption. And now the statement of redemption is different. He took the cup. He gave thanks. He offered it to them. And they all drank from it. And they're passing the cup around. And then he says, this is my blood of the covenant, of the new covenant. This is my blood of the new covenant, who is, uh, who is, which is poured out for many. I tell you the truth. I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. And man, what was happening at this point? The disciples, they are blown away because nobody has ever changed Passover. 1400 years we have had it I, I grew up saying it the same way mom mom and dad dad always led the family to say it. it's in it's in exodus and now you're coming and you're saying that you're the answer to all those promises you're saying that this has been about this is about you this is my body this is no longer about that this is about you and when jesus did that you know what he was saying this has always been about me this has always been about me. This is what I'm trying to get you to understand. And so he sets them up and tells them, I want them to do this. Verse 26, when they sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So they sung a hymn. If you go in the book of Psalms, you'll see what they would sing. Psalm 113 to Psalm 118 are the songs that they would sing at the end of Passover. Uh, we look at the book of Psalms and we find comfort and joy from them. They sang them. And so that was their songbook. So they, they pulled out Psalm 113. Actually, they didn't pull it out. They pulled out a memory. They had them memorized. And they sang these at the end. And then Jesus says, I'm not going to do this inside the city limit. We're going to get outside of the city and go to the Mount of Olives. It would be a complete bloodbath inside of the city. He says, we're taking this outside the city. He goes out to the Mount of Olives. In here is a most, one of the most powerful verses in all the Bible. Please don't miss this today. He says, you will fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. You will fall away. Verse 28, but after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Folks, this is the greatest promise we see. God looked at the disciples. He had spent three and a half years with a bunch of guys. They were tight. These were, this was a tight group of friends. And he says, I know right now that you are going to abandon me. And even though you are going to abandon me, let me tell you, when I rise, I'm coming for you. You can't get rid of me. And even though you're going to walk away from me, I am coming after you. Don't you? Listen, do you see the awesome love of God? Many times I've had people tell me, I, God couldn't love me. I have just done so many bad things in my life. I, God, how can I be loved by God? Folks, the season of Lent, when it was first put on, to the calendar whenever throughout church history if you go back and study church history when people first started to do that it was not for the faithful it was for the unfaithful to come home it was a time for those that felt that they had betrayed god to come home and i want to call that out to you today this is not about hey you're some good person none of us are good God clarified that. He said there's none righteous. No, not one. 
He says, God's looking at his disciples. He says, after I rise, I'm coming and I will find you and I'm coming after you. And then Peter declares, verse 29, Peter says, even if all fall away, I will not. (laughs) Peter always speaks up at the crazy times, doesn't he? Peter. I I feel like Peter, though. That's why I can identify with the guy. My mouth gets me in more trouble than anything. Well, that's because I can't do anything else but talk, right? So... He says, I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth. Today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows three times. Before the rooster crows twice. I'm sorry, let me read the passage. Before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. And I'll tell you what, Peter always gets a bad rap, doesn't he? But look what all the others said. The same thing. And you know what? They all denied him. Every one of them. And God said, you will fall away. But I'm going ahead. I'm going to meet you. Oh, do you see how much God loves you? Do you see the richness of the love of God? And God's talking to you today. Hey, you will fall away, but I'm coming after you. You have fallen away, and I'm coming after you. All you've got to do is repent of your sin. He says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Listen, God loves you too much to let you stay where you're at. You're broken. God says, I'm going to heal you. I'm going to give you new life. I'm going to make a new beginning. So today, I want to encourage you. Listen, the, the, the whole Passover, this whole meal was about Jesus. It was all about him. He says, man, I'm taking this. I'm breaking the body. And listen, he, what he was doing, he was talking about grace and mercy. You know, grace was this. Grace was the idea that you cannot get something. Uh, Grace was God giving you something that you don't deserve. Grace is getting what we could never deserve. You cannot even begin to deserve it. So God is giving him. He's saying, listen, I'm going to give you what you can't deserve. That's a relationship with God. Mercy is not getting what I do deserve. Man, I deserve eternal damnation. I deserve to go to hell, the Bible says. This is not like, hey, everybody goes to heaven. The Bible's very clear. There's one way to God. It's through Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you want to get to God, it's through Jesus Christ. Amen? That's the only way. It's not by your good works. So my good works mean nothing to God. I need His grace. He gives me what I could not deserve. That's eternal life. You know what I need? And I also... I deserve hell. God says, I'm not giving you hell because you have trusted me, what I have done on the cross. And so what I want to do today is I want to invite you to a personal relationship. We are going to, in just a moment, open up our communion. I'm going to ask you just to begin to hold it in your hand. But before we do that, I I want to encourage you. We were told in the Bible, God's word says, do not do this unworthily. Do not participate in the Lord's Supper unworthily. I'm just going to ask that we dim the house lights now, and I want you to begin to go into a mode of worship. He says, do not do this unworthily. So what that means is you should be a follower of Jesus. And the way you become a follower of Jesus is not, 
Not by being here. I mean, that's part of it. But by you surrendering and saying, God, I need you. You died on the cross. You paid for my sin. You came back to life again, and I trust you. And so, if that's you today, before we go to communion, I want to give you an opportunity to start that relationship with God. Because he says in his word, it's very clear that this is for believers, for those that are following Christ, for those that said that Jesus died and I've applied the blood over my doorpost. You see, just like they made the lamb personal, God wants you to make the lamb of God personal. It's got to become very personal to you. So today, as we prepare, I want you to prepare your heart. And if you need to trust Christ, you need to open your heart. Today's the day. The scripture says, now is the time. Today is the day. Oh, thanks be to God. And then I want also, for every believer in here, before you go to this, the Apostle Paul said to examine your heart. Is there an area of sin that you need to confess? Like we have, we're gonna we're gonna partake in a piece of unleavened bread in a minute that is a symbol of the sinless body of Christ. What is the sin that you've got to confess to the Lord right now? So let's bow in prayer with our heads bowed and eyes closed and no one looking around. I want to invite you to trust Jesus. If if you've not yet trusted Christ as your personal Savior, right now just start that relationship with God and pray something like this. Just call on his name. He said, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Pray something like this. Dear Jesus, I come before you and I ask you to save my soul. I'm a sinner and I need a savior. You paid the price on the cross for me. And I invite you into my heart and soul right here and right now. Thank you for dying, for being buried, and coming back to life again for me. And others in this room with our heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you need to pray something to God right now. And just say, dear God, I, I need you. This area of my life, I need to surrender. I, I need you to forgive me of my sin today, Lord. God, move mightily in my life. I'm examining my heart right now. God, I want you to be first place in my life. Let's open the bread. I'm going to ask you to hold that bread in your hand. Let's make this very personal today. I want you to consider the sacrifice of Christ. After he had taken the bread and they were used to him saying something else at Passover, like whoever ran the Seder, they would normally have their script. They would know what was in the Old Testament to say. And Jesus said, no, 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 this is about me now. I'm the answer. I'm the fulfillment of all those promises. Your answer is in this room right now. He told the disciples and he broke the bread. He gave thanks. So let's just do that today. Let's let's thank the Lord and then we'll partake together. Father God, we come before you, Lord. 
And we bless this, Lord. We ask your blessing upon this piece of bread. Lord, you have provided it. You have given it to us today. And you said, do this as the memorial of your broken body. God, I ask now that you'll be adored by the hearts of each person as they worship you and they reflect and they thank you for the sacrifice that changed not just the world, but changed their life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's partake together. Then he said he had taken the cup, the cup that they were used to refilling four times. And there was four statements. And and then Jesus, after this one, this statement blew their mind. The new covenant, the new agreement between God and man, the new promise. God was making a promise. That's what the covenant was. God would fulfill his promise was the blood of Jesus Christ. Without the shedding of blood, there would be no forgiveness of sins. He prayed, he blessed it, and then he gave it to them. And they drank together. Let's, let's pray together. Father God, we come before you. And I thank you, Lord, for your sacrifice on the cross. You died to pay for my sin. You came back to life again. And God, I come before you and I ask you now, Lord, to, to just take and enjoy the worship of your people. Transform us, Lord. Like, like those grapes that became wine, Lord. Transform us. We're just humble people, and we need you to do your miracle work. Thank you for the new covenant in your blood. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And then they got up, and before they left, before they went to the Mount of Olives, they sang the hymn. Next week, we're going to pick up with the 24. I'm going to show you some powerful things because this is the most action-packed 24 hours you've ever studied in your life. But let's stand up today and let's sing our hymn. I don't know how to sing Psalm 113, but I'll tell you what. I know how to sing the altar, come to the altar. This will be our hymn of song after the after we have just celebrated his table. Let's sing and sing with a, with a loud worship to the Lord today.
were here with us today. Would you just greet each other as you leave today and just say something nice as you go because it is a beautiful day out. God is here and hopefully your life has been changed this morning. So have a great week and we'll see you next Sunday.